Well, today we're continuing in our series in the Gospel of Matthew. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up. Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to be today. Um, or if you have your little uh, Matthew journal Bible, uh, we'd love for you to grab one of those. And if you don't have one, we're reading through the, the Gospel of Matthew in the season, and we have some at each of the entrances. So we'd love for you to grab one of those. Uh, we have a reading plan that we are kind of following together as a church. And so I did this last week. It's a little accountability. How many of you have been reading along with us? Okay. All right. Wow. Okay, good. It's not too late to catch up. You can still catch up, join in. How many of you so far, you kind of like this Jesus guy that you've been reading about? Yeah? Okay. I mean, so far he's done some pretty amazing things. He has, he's calmed a storm. He has cleansed a leper. He's cast out demons. He's cast a vision for what our life should look like as, as citizens of the kingdom of God in his Sermon on the Mount, that beautiful sermon. And so when you start reading the Gospels and reading about Jesus, I mean, it's easy to begin to think that everyone liked Jesus and everyone loved Jesus. And you even laughed when I said, how many of you like this Jesus guy? But what we're going to see Matthew chapter 9 and as we continue in Matthew's Gospel is that not everybody liked Jesus. That Jesus began to actually have a lot of conflict with different people, particularly different religious people throughout his ministry. And so we're going to be looking at some of that conflict today as it begins to develop. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, here's what we read. Getting into a boat, he, that is Jesus, crossed over and came to his own city. And that's a reference to the city of Capernaum. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And I love this moment in the gospel because you know, last week we talked about how Jesus had the authority to calm the winds and calm the waves. And now we see Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. He has the authority to forgive sins. And if you think back to Matthew chapter 1, when Joseph was thinking about divorcing Mary... The angel came to him and said, no, you need to take her as your wife and you need to name the son Jesus. Why? The angel said, because he will save people from their sins. And now we begin to see this happening. Verse 3, and behold, some of the scribes, these are, these are legal experts in God's law, said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. Blaspheming is a big word that means this man is showing disrespect irreverence to God. He is attributing something to himself that should be reserved only for God. This man is blaspheming, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were afraid. They had a holy fear and awe at what had just happened. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. And as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew rose. He rose and followed 
him. And the other gospel writers tell us that when, when Matthew rose and followed him, he, he began to invite people to his house, and he threw a big party there. And as Jesus reclined at the table in, in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he, that is Jesus, heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do have need, is what he told them. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. While many were in awe of Jesus' power and authority and were attracted to him, not everybody was. Clearly here, the scribes and the Pharisees were not that impressed with Jesus and they didn't really like what he was doing in this public ministry that he was beginning to live out. And, And they really didn't like him, we see here, for two reasons. Number one because he claimed that he could give forgiveness of sins, and number two, because of his friendship with sinners. You see, the the, the Pharisees and the scribes of the law, they rightly believed that forgiveness only came from God. And up until that point in time, there was an elaborate system that involved the temple, that involved ritual sacrifices, that involved priests, through which they received God's forgiveness, God's, God's people, Israel. And so they're thinking, okay, there's no temple here. They didn't view Jesus as a priest. They didn't see a sacrifice. So they're like, how is this man even doing anything related to forgiving sins? And they didn't believe that Jesus was God with us, God in the flesh. And so they said, this man is blasphemy. He's speaking blasphemy. This is crazy that he is claiming he can forgive sins. So that was the first reason. And the second reason is that he was having friendships with sinners. Sinners that he was eating at this dinner party. And they didn't like this because they had specific views. These religious leaders had specific views about holiness, ritual purity, and who religious people should hang out with and who religious people shouldn't hang out with. And this all comes to a head when Jesus calls Matthew, the, the writer of this gospel, when Jesus calls Matthew to follow him, he goes up to the tax booth and he gives that simple invitation we talked about last week. He says to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew responds. And now when we think about tax collectors being lumped in with sinners here, you know, I mean, how many of you like, I'm not, well, how many of you like tax collectors, right? I'm doing mine tomorrow. So a lot of us, we think, oh, tax collectors, yeah, okay. But, but it, it was, it's nothing like today. Tax collectors back then were often put in the same category as murderers, thieves, swindlers. Y'all don't laugh at that. Murderers, thieves, swindlers. Because they weren't just collecting money for the state. They were doing that. I mean, they were typically Jewish men, these tax collectors. 
and they would collect money on behalf of the Roman government, who was the occupying government, who was the enemy. So they're basically the middlemen between all these Jewish people and the Roman authorities. They would collect the tariffs and the taxes as people were going in and out of cities and traveling with goods different places. And, and not only that, they were dealing with Jews and Gentiles and all, all sorts of types of, of people. But the way the tax collectors made their money is to add a little bit on top. And so they would not only collect what was necessary, they would collect more than is necessary. And so they were often wealthy and they got their wealth in these ways that a lot of people thought were terrible and were evil. And so they were despised by pretty much everybody. And this is the guy that Jesus says, come and follow me, be my disciple. And I'm sure that even the Jesus' disciples were surprised at this because, I mean, they were fishermen, which they're like, you know, we're, we're not too special, but we're not tax collectors. We're not notorious sinners like this guy, but they were good followers of Jesus. So they said, you know what, Jesus, maybe you know what you're doing. We'll go with you. And so they all go to this big dinner party full of Matthew's friends. And the Pharisees don't like it one bit. They don't like it one bit because they had a view of, of holiness through which they believed that holiness was kind of like a, a white shirt. I don't know if any of you have white shirts or some women these days are wearing white pants. Maybe you have some white shoes, some white, white tennis shoes. You know how it is when you wear white clothing that if you bump into anything, it's going to get dirty. Like if you just lean up against the car, your outfit is ruined for the rest of the day. Or if you have a toddler who's two years old with sticky hands, you know, like your shirt is just ruined or a dog comes up to you and puts his paws on you. You know that if you wear anything white, you basically have to stay away from everybody and everything if you want it to remain clean, right? So if you want it to remain clean, what do you do? You avoid other people in other situations, particularly messy people in messy situations. This is how the Pharisees viewed holiness. They viewed their holiness as something that they needed to keep protected, so they wanted to stay away from anybody they deemed unclean, from any sinners, any tax collectors, anyone like that, because they wanted to keep their white shirts crisp and clean. So they always wanted to be at a distance from these types of people. And there's Jesus. There is Jesus at the dinner party, a man who is supposed to be holy, interacting with these unclean people, these tax collectors and sinners. And so the Pharisees thought, what kind of religious man is this? He's unclean. He's going to get dirty himself. He's really unholy. They didn't like what they were seeing from this Jewish rabbi, Jesus. And, and this idea the Pharisees had in their minds, I mean, sometimes we can look at them and think, well, man, that was 2,000 years ago. That, you know, they're living nothing like Jesus. But, I mean, a lot of times these views that the Pharisees had, I mean, they even find their ways into the church today. Uh, my home church, when I was young, uh, was located in downtown Conyers. And, you know, like a good church, always trying to reach out to the community, find ways to connect with people. 
And in the 90s, it was like skate culture was coming of age. And so there was all these skaters skating around L-Town Conyers. And so they started skating at the church and, you know, grinding on the rails and all this kind of stuff. They were all showing up. And if you remember this, like back then, skaters were viewed as like counterculture and, you know, smoking and doing drugs. Like it's kind of how people viewed skaters. And so in the church, there was this tension of how should we respond to these skaters who were on our property. And one group won out. And so soon there was a big sign on the property that said, no skating allowed or you'll be prosecuted. Because they didn't want these type of people at the church because they were afraid, you know what, they're going to be a bad influence on our teenagers. They're going to be a bad influence on our kids. They're going to make our property dirty. Like, well, you know what, we need to just keep them away because we kind of, we want to stay the church. We want to stay clean. And so they put up this sign, keep away. And guess what happened? They went away. They went away, and I don't know if they ever stepped foot on a church property again. Years later, I was at a church. I had a, a big meal each week. And lots of people from the church would come and community members. And during that season, there was a lot of disruption in the economy, and so some people who were experiencing homelessness began calling the church saying, hey, we're in need of assistance, we're hungry. So somebody said, hey, well, why don't you just come to our weekly meal? We'll, we'll figure out a way to pay for it. It'll be free. Just tell them when you check in that, that you're good to go um, and, and the church will cover it. And so one week, someone came. And someone from the church, I still remember, just stomped down the hallway. And they said, who invited this person? Who told them they could eat for free? Say, so, you know, this person is unclean. They smell. They smell, and so they're going to start repelling families away. And you know how these people are. They have other friends who, who are homeless like them, and so they're going, to, they're going to invite their friends, and soon they're all going to take over, and all the people who pay for dinner are going to leave, and all of this is just going to fall apart in the church. And I was, I was angry when I heard that. I was angry. I was upset. But then as I, I thought about it more, you know, I have this Pharisee tendency as well. Because like many of you, I was taught growing up, if you hang out with dogs, you get fleas, right? <laughs> that if you hang out with messy people, you're going to find yourself in a mess. And maybe your parents told you, hey, you know what? You might not be guilty, but you can be guilty by association. So a lot of us, like, we, we, we heard all these messages growing up and throughout our lives, and, and so we have this tendency to think, you know what, if somebody sins differently than us, if somebody sins more than us, if somebody has been deemed unclean by the church or by our culture, we think, you know what, we need to just keep a distance from them because we want our shirts to remain white and pristine. And so we kind of end up having a little holy huddle all wearing our white shirts together. But you know from the text here that that's not what Jesus does. That's not what Jesus does because Jesus has a very different view of holiness. Jesus doesn't view holiness as a, as a white shirt to be protected from any kind of dirt. Instead, Jesus' view of holiness is more that holiness is like 
bleach. How many of you have bleach in your house? You know bleach is powerful, isn't it? Bleach is powerful, but for bleach to work, what does it have to do? It has to come into contact with dirt for it to really transform something. Because if a bottle of bleach is just sitting on your shelf doing nothing, it, it really isn't very effective. And so Jesus knew that if his holiness, if his holy love was going to transform lives, he had to draw near to the broken. He had to draw near to sinners. He had to draw near to these tax collectors so that then his holy love, his transforming power could be at work in their lives. And so he drew near to these people. He drew near, and what's so interesting is that while all of these religious leaders were opposing Jesus and not wanting anything to do with him, all of these irreligious people were attracted to Jesus. They were attracted to him and to his ministry. And they were attracted because when they were with Jesus, they, they experienced hope. They saw a peace in him. They witnessed love, a love that they had really never experienced in their lives, and they wanted to know more about it. They wanted to be around it because, because they knew that Jesus had something. He had some authority. He had some, some power, something that they needed in their lives. And so as Jesus drew near to them, they drew near to Jesus. And so what we find throughout Matthew's gospel is that while not everybody loved Jesus, Jesus loved everybody. While not everybody loved Jesus, Jesus loved everybody. And I know Matthew was glad that, that Jesus loved people like him. I know Matthew was so glad for that because Matthew was a tax collector. He would have lived a life of isolation, really hated by all sorts of people. And when he found Jesus, or when Jesus found him, he experienced community that he hadn't known before. He experienced a new purpose. He experienced new love. He experienced forgiveness of his sins. He really experienced new life. He experienced a miracle when Jesus called him and he responded that day. And I want you to see something here in the text. We'll put it on the screen. Matthew chapter 9, verse 7. If you notice, when Jesus heals this paralyzed man, Verse 7, the man rose. He rose and experienced a miracle, and he went home transformed. And then later, verse 9, after Jesus says, follow me, these same words are used. Matthew uses the same phrase. Matthew rose and followed him. Matthew experienced a miracle. And when you continue in the gospel, when we get closer to Easter, you're going to see that these Pharisees, these scribes, these religious people, all of these folks, they wanted Jesus killed, and Jesus was killed on a cross, through a brutal death. Yet on the third day, what happened? He rose. Jesus rose with the miracle of resurrection. Defeating sin, defeating death, once and for all. And he promises that for all of those who respond to his love, who respond to this invitation to follow him, he promises a miracle in our life as well, that he will forgive us our sins, he will give us new life, and that we too can rise with him. And I'm so glad that, that Matthew experienced this miracle because now we have the gospel today that he wrote. That he wrote 
for us. And so we know the good news of Jesus Christ. And we know that while not everybody loved Jesus, Jesus loved everybody. And that includes you and that includes me. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you feel from God, no matter the sins in your life that you try not to even think about, God loves you and he has sent his son Jesus to draw near to each and every one of us. And I once heard a pastor say this, that once you, once you realize Jesus loves you and is pursuing you and wants a relationship with you, there's really only two responses. They're illustrated here by these, these hotel door markers um, from a hotel chain in the, in the United Kingdom. I'll put the picture up here on the screen for you. The first one. The first response to Jesus is, I'm clean enough, do not disturb. Don't come in. The second one is, I'm a right mess. Come on in. And the Pharisees, they were that green one. Sorry, they were the red one. They were the red one. The Pharisees said, you know what, we're good. We're clean enough, our shirts are white. We avoid all this kind of stuff. We try to avoid all of it. So the Pharisees said, you know what? We're, we're clean enough. Don't worry about us. We don't need you, Jesus. Their problem was that they didn't know they had a problem. But all these other people Jesus is hanging out with at the party, they said, Jesus, we're a mess. We're a mess. Come on in. That's what Matthew said. They knew they couldn't fix themselves. They had tried lots of things. And I wonder for you today, which one you would say? Knowing that Jesus loves you with an unconditional, eternal, everlasting love. He's pursuing you. He wants a relationship with you. He's not waiting for you to get your life cleaned up. He's not waiting for you to get your act together. He's here. Which one would you say? The good news is, yeah, if you're willing to admit that you need a Savior, He's willing to come on in. He's at the door knocking. We simply have to respond. When we respond to Jesus' invitation and we invite him into our lives and we say, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go, one of the things you'll see and you'll discover throughout life is that, that Jesus wants you to follow him into these same types of situations that he found himself in. Jesus went to the tax collectors, the sinners, to all of these people that were outsiders, that, that were deemed unclean, and he calls his followers to go to those same places to bring his hope, to bring his joy, to bring his love, to be vessels of his grace and his holiness to all of those people. That's what he calls us to do. And when we do that as a, as a church, here's the thing, we might be mischaracterized, we might be judged, people might say, you know what, that church is, is soft on sin, or they, they let anybody into their church, or look at the types of people there, but you know what, that's what they said about Jesus too. 
And people might say the same thing about us when we hang out with the same type of people Jesus hung out with. But that's where he calls us to go. To feast with the sinners. And Jesus still feasts with sinners today. And so this morning as we share in the sacrament of Holy Communion together at the Lord's table, that's really what what we're doing. Jesus has chosen to meet us here. And he's saying, look, no matter your sin, I want to I want to come encounter you. If, if you know you're a mess and you want to experience my love, come. Eat with me. And when we share in communion, we, we, we get nourishment. We receive his, his grace, his power, his presence, his holiness meets us where we are and transforms us into the people he desires us to be. And so in just a few minutes, our our children are going to come in and we're going to share in this meal together. But before we do that, I want, to, I want to share with you one final thing. I was talking to a friend this week of, about our church growing up, about that skating incident. And I was like, man, can you believe that? Because I was young when it happened. I was mad. And he said, well, don't you know the rest of the story? I was like, no. And he said, well, you know they built the new building where that sign was. And I said, yeah, I know, I know where the new building is. And he said, yeah, and in the new building, you know what they built, right? And I was like, no. He said, they built a skate park inside the building. <laughs> he said they built a skate park because they wanted to reach these people that everywhere else was saying, get off of our property. They wanted to give them a place to come and to land and to know love and to have a safe place to hang out. He said that was what the church ended up doing. And when he told me that, I thought, wow, I, I, I didn't realize that. I thought, well, you know what? There is hope for the church. And there's hope for you and for me, no matter how many times we've gotten it wrong, because of the power of Jesus. So would you pray with me? Lord, we need you. We're a mess. We have sinned. We have fallen short of your standards by what we've done and by what we've left undone. And so this morning we pray that that you would meet us. We know you've promised to come. Come to us no matter how broken and sinful we are. We, We pray that you would come and that you would restore us. You would renew us. You would forgive us that you would give us new life today. And that as sinners who have received your grace, we pray that you would help us go out and share that grace with others no matter where it leads. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.